You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. So many things impact our faith walk. At times we linger in what we're learning, asking questions and doing a lot of research. And as moms, we're prayerfully directing our children through life as they develop their faith. Today, we're going to be talking about something very practical, education. It's an important topic because we're in a battle for the hearts and minds of our children. Our hope for today's episode is that you feel better equipped and encouraged in making educational plans for your children. And guess what? Even our educational choices are part of our faith journey. So let's get started. Hey, friends, I'm glad you're here with us again today. I'm excited to have my friend Molly back on the show. She joined us on episode 55 when she shared with us her story of some trauma in her childhood and youth. That episode was called Courageous Vulnerability. If you'd like to go back and check it out, I'd welcome you to do that. But the reason that she's here today is totally different. We've been in a few groups, both online and in person, and I've found that Molly always has articulate and encouraging words to share with the women that she speaks to. There's been something on her heart. And when she sent me a message about it, followed by, do you think this might be a good podcast episode? I jumped right on it. Anytime I can share the stage with you, Molly, I'm in. So our topic today, it's education. So ladies, grab something to write on because I know there's going to be some gems that we uncover here. And I'm trying to figure out already what I might want to title this episode. And I'm kind of leaning towards education. Been there, done that. Because Molly, you've had a lot of experience in the field of education in a lot of different places. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this as we kick off the school year and get going. I know education is on the minds of a lot of moms. It's been um, an interesting last couple of years as our society has dabbled in home education and has had to just look at education differently. And so I don't know. Do you want to just jump in and save me from my babbling and, and tell me maybe your credentials or, or let's just jump in somewhere. Sure. Um, so I have a master's of art and teaching and my bachelor's degree is in Spanish and social sciences. And then work history wise, I've worked in everything from kindergarten through 12th grade professionally, mostly in the same district, but different, you know, different buildings around the district. And some of those were as instructional assistants in the classroom. Um, And then I also taught, like once I got my teacher's credential with my master's of art and teaching. So I taught in a bilingual program. I have always taught in or worked in high needs, high poverty schools, just because that helps with loan forgiveness. And hopefully that doesn't... um, start off or click off a a whole other debate. Um, And then I also have taught at the university level. I taught Spanish at a local Christian university. Then I've, you know, like I've homeschooled my kids and I've had my kids in a distance charter. So like I have experience with almost everything but actual private school. It's the only arena that I haven't had Like I haven't either been a parent or a student or a teacher. But even at that, because you have had experience as a teacher at all levels, I'm sure you have a lot of friends who have been in the private schools. And so I know you're privy to a lot of the water cooler chats. So anyway, so this is good. I'm I'm excited to jump in and kind of pick your brain a little bit. I think I want to start out by just reading the beginning of that message that you sent me. You said... I see so many posts of people that say regarding homeschooling, this is so hard. I must be messing everything up. Or maybe they're questioning, can I really do this? How do you get it all done? And how do you stay motivated? And you said, please hear me when I say you can do this. It's not necessarily going to be easy. I'm not saying that you have to do it or that you should do it. 
But when you're processing through all of these choices that we have right now, you suggested that you always want to start with the why, why you're doing these things and then considering the alternatives. So anyway, I don't know if you just want to take it from there, if that brings about uh, a reminder of our conversation we had and kind of like your heart. I mean, I think it tells you the heart as you see moms that are discouraged and they're really just wanting to, to do the best thing for their children, but yet trying to put all those things in place. So if I start with my why, uh, that's not a happy story. And, and I will be brief and vague, but I also will just say that if you have kids listening, you, you might want to like send them to the other room for just a few minutes. But my why was I was teaching at a middle school and I taught half time in a bilingual program and half time in just regular ed classes, but it was all math. I was teaching math or math in Spanish. And I had a student that was a convicted sex offender in that class. And my first year there, he left like three weeks into the school year, got sent to juvie, spent a whole year and a half plus in juvie, and then came back my third year there. And he was in my class. And this kid would not keep his hands off any of the girls in my class. And I did all kinds of things. And it was not unknown to the administration. I made the girls sit in the back half of the class so that they would have to go through the boys. I enlisted the boys help. I made this kid sit on the floor in the front of the classroom because I had 35 kids and only 32 get desks. So he had to sit on the floor in the very front of the classroom, always within my line of sight. But it's math. So if somebody raises their hand and asks a question, I go look to read off their paper to figure out what they're having a difficult time with or try and look at their work to figure out the error. He would take that, whatever, 15, 30 seconds to go inappropriately touch girls in the classroom. And what disgusted me about that wasn't even that. I mean, that's not okay. And I'm not saying it was okay. But the administration didn't want to re-expel him because it gives the school a bad rating. And when the girls complained and were taken to the principal's office, the principal, it was actually the vice principal, repeatedly told them that we can't send him away. We'll ruin his lives. Do you really want to do that to this boy? You know, he just needs a chance to learn. We have to think of his best interest. And we had a school resource officer who was aware of what was going on, but police can't press charges if they don't have a complainant, right? Mm -hmm. And the girls wouldn't say what happened because they'd been silenced effectively by the administration. And, you know, I was forbidden to, it's a, a violation of confidentiality, but I talk about another student. So I wasn't allowed to tell the parents So I just kept saying, look, you need to ask your kids these questions. And then I told, and the girls still wouldn't talk. So then I told the parents of the boys, because these kids were in a program that had been cohorted. So they'd been together since the first grade. Now they're in middle school. Everybody knows everybody. So eventually parents found out, took it to the district and the school board. Kid got removed from the class. But it just disgusted me that that was going on. Not just that that kid was there. Because, you know, sadly, he learned it from someone. That's not normal behavior. But that we would respond to it that way, in an organized way. And it's not, it is not just that school. And it is not just my district. Because I've, like, I can tell, I know lots of people from lots of places that they all say, yeah, we deal with that too. And it sickened me. And I, so for me, my why, I knew then that I definitely didn't want my kids in public school. I didn't want them to learn that message that they weren't valuable enough to to do something about this. I didn't want them in that environment where it was okay to, to, that the, the adults and the authority figures would approve of that. But I assumed that I would teach in private school and just have my kids be in whatever school that I was teaching in. And for us, uh, I have two kids that had congenital spinal disorders that that required surgery, but it impacted um, gross motor, including bowel and bladder bladder control. So you have a kindergarten still having lots of accidents. I just knew that it didn't matter where we went, they were going to get picked on and bullied. So we homeschooled 
and then we fell in love. And I should be, I should be clear. We didn't actually homeschool. We did public charters where you're at home and I had the ability or still do actually to choose the curriculum that they use. And we send in portfolios and student work examples and meet online with the teacher. We used to meet in person with the teacher once a month, but now it's a Zoom call. So that's how, like for me, when I think about what am I doing, like I know exactly what the alternative is. And I know exactly what's going on in public schools. And, I, and I'm not here to bash them. And it's not the teacher's fault. But I, I just, that is not, it's not where I want my kid to be, right? At the end of the day, as a Christian, as a mom, if I have to choose between Harvard or heaven, I, I'm going to point my kids to the Lord. And I just don't feel like I can effectively do that if I'm sending them away, you know, for eight plus hours a day. You know, into what I would consider the lion's den. So that's my why. It's a heavy why. <laughs> but um, I think it's important that people know what's going on there, right? Like, because that's not something that's going to come up at your PTA meetings. And it's very possibly something that your kids are going to not talk about because they'll be afraid or ashamed. But that's gotten worse. So we've talked before and I've read so many words of encouragement and, and as you sit here and, and you do a great job weighing pros and cons and all this stuff. I don't think that that particular one was on the list. So that was not what I was expecting, but I do think <laughs> that is <laughs> that, so what, that was my why I have other whys, but like my right. very first Maybe I don't want to do this because I had always thought to myself, it'll be okay. I'll know the teachers. I'll make sure to pick a good one. We'll, we'll choose a really good school. Like I had all of these plans in my head and then that happened. And I just thought, you know what? Some things aren't worth it, right? right? There's no way for me to mitigate that. And if you get to the point where you are going to be a volunteer in the classroom for five days a week so that you can kind of help monitor some of that and watch it, you might as well do it at home because you might as well homeschool, right? Exactly. Yes, absolutely. There are, I have lots of other whys. So I think it's really important. People, people think about I'm not qualified. Like I hear that all the time. And so this is um, like fun fact. I am a licensed math teacher and I haven't had math since high school. So people think that's crazy, right? I didn't ever have math in college. That was not my plan, but I had been an instructional assistant at a high school in their math program with the Spanish speakers that maybe, you know, they had the math skills, but they misunderstood the language. So I'm translating. So I was refreshing my skills there. And I had applied for a Spanish teaching program or position at the middle school. And that was filled, but they were desperately searching for somebody that could be, because you have to be certified in both in a bilingual program. You have to have the language, whatever that is, French, Spanish, whatever, you know, your dual languages, and then you have to have the subject that you're teaching and they couldn't find it. And they were really quite desperate. So they paid for me to take the test, which I failed actually the first time around by one point, but I, I didn't allocate my time well. So that didn't even bother them. They're like, no worries. Your score is super close. You'll get it the next time paid for me to take it again. And you know, I passed with a respectable score, but that's, all it takes and I really feel like this is important that people know when when you are deferring to the authority of the public school teacher you could be deferring to somebody like me who hasn't had math since high school you know I really haven't so what did I do I studied and I passed a test and then I made sure that I did like a chapter ahead of the students so that I would know that we were going and I would try and ask colleagues to say, look, is this really that big of a deal? Whatever this concept may be is, am I not understanding how it's gonna play out later? Cause my students really aren't getting this or is, is it not so big of a deal? Cause I didn't always know. 
but that's also not uncommon. I mean, maybe my example is a little bit extreme, but I also have known in my professional experience, you can miss class teachers. So whatever they're certified to teach in the state of Oregon, you can have them miscategorized or they, they can teach outside of their certification area for two classes a day in middle school, high school. And so I have literally been in professional situations where the PE teacher is teaching chemistry and, and they do just fine. And it is because they wanted to, right? So they figured it out and they learned because we're not talking about the most important part about teaching isn't whether or not, you know, all of the stuff you have to teach. It's, it's, more about in a classroom setting it's about crowd control and classroom management because if there's no behavior issues then kids can learn but if it's chaos then kids can't and then the second thing is capacity to learn but if somebody has taken all the tests they clearly do have the capacity to learn they may not know everything that they need to know but they have the ability to learn so then it's do they have the drive and the willingness to do that you know, so you'll find that all the time. Somebody's been teaching kindergarten for 10 years and now they're in fifth grade. That is a learning year. Or somebody that teaches biology all the time that gets moved to physics or chemistry is going to be in a learning curve. And it's not just like the sciences, right? You could be in history and be teaching U.S. history and get moved to economics or geography. And you're not, you're not going to be pre fully prepared. So that you can't give them all that authority. If you're willing to learn and have the ability to learn, then you are qualified to teach. So you've pretty much put me as a homeschool mom in the same position in, um, I just need to stay one step ahead. Like I can, if, if my child is going to be learning whatever topic, I can learn with them or I can learn a few days before them. It's not like, oh, well, I have to leave it to the professionals because they know everything about this topic because there's a chance they don't. I guarantee you they don't. Like if they get switched classrooms or levels or subjects, even if it's still within their certification, they don't. I taught Spanish at a university. Do I know everything about Spanish? No. If you ask me to teach a lit class tomorrow. I'm really good at 100 and 200 level Spanish. But if you ask me to teach, you know, a lit class about Don Quixote or some classic book written in Spanish, I'd have to read, I've read that book, but I'd have to reread it. You know, I'd have to reread it and build lesson plans. And it's about willingness and drive. And, and there does have to be a capacity to learn, but you know, I, I've also just, I want to just say this. I don't think that I had this in the list, but educational research is, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to call it research. Ha having been and done hard sciences in undergraduate, like what they call research is so much different than what the educational system calls research, right? Because everything's done by like survey and observation, but I like, I don't want to be disparaging to my profession but it's not a hard science. And so there's a bit, of, there's a lot of subjectivity to it. And educational research, you'll see trends, right? And every 10 to 20 years, they completely reverse each other. Do we want this? Do we want that? Do we like, it's just, and it's political even. But the one thing that educational research has continuously agreed on is that the number one predictor of student success is parental involvement. It is not income. It is not geography. It is not race or ethnicity. It's not parent educational level. It's not teacher educational level. It's not teacher-student ratios. It's parental involvement. And parental meaning guardian, adult, whoever, you know, makes this kid cereal in the morning and helps them pack their backpack and sees that they're home and to bed on time, whoever that is, if that person is highly involved, the chances are that kid is going to have a far more successful academic outcomes than somebody that's kind of checked out, which is why homeschooling works as well as it does, right? But it doesn't mean that you can't succeed in public school or private school. But you have to be an involved parent if you want successful outcomes. It's the 
the one thing that consistently is supported by research and that despite prevailing political views, it continuously comes out as the number one important thing, you know, and it like, and that's good news because that means that when our kids aren't doing well, we absolutely have the ability to impact change. But it also makes sense, right? Because they say, well, but these poor communities, well, poor communities usually have less involved parents because it's usually a one parent household and that parent is usually working sometimes two or three jobs. And so that necessarily means that they're not as involved and their kids don't do as well. So that money piece takes a back seat. So why do we get so overwhelmed and frustrated by the details and by the nuts and bolts of homeschooling? Like if we know this, if we know that an involved parent is, is the key, I mean, it's the key. We, I know we cannot just say, well, I'm going to be involved. Therefore just love on me, kids. Let me love on you. We're just going to, you know, hang out together. We still have to make some academic progress, right? And we have choices that we have to make regarding curriculum. We have to wait our days. Like how much time do I spend on math? How much time do I spend on reading? So we get pretty overwhelmed with the logistics of homeschooling. I just wonder if you, you, you're so great at encouraging moms as we step back and we go, okay, yeah, you're right. You do have to do all those things. You, you do have to actually, we're not going to lead them and educate them by osmosis because we're involved and we do make their cereal. I think a lot of people don't know that. I mean, recently when COVID happened, there were school districts that hit the news because they wanted parents to sign a document online uh, confirming that they wouldn't watch their child's classes with them, right? So I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Although every school I've ever worked at always talks about parents' involvement, I've only ever seen one really do things to try and increase parent involvement because most often it's like it's an it's education and it's a giant cog and you want people to fit in but they don't always right so trying to meet people where they're at and give them you know things that they can do that doesn't mess you up, that can take some effort on, you know, the school's part. And, and quite frankly, some parents aren't fit to be in a classroom. They're just not, right? They're a distraction. Some of them, you know, wouldn't pass a background check. Some of them have drug and alcohol problems, but they're still parents and they still need to be involved. So I don't necessarily think that the public system or education in general is super great about doing that. And even like with private schools, I have known many private schools to have like a requirement for service hours. But if you don't want to do the service hours, you can just pay them off. Like they, they'll tell you with it, like it's this many hours or this many dollars. And that's, that, that is so wrong because it insinuates that like, this is a statement that it has nothing to do with education necessarily, but it's a statement that really irritates me all the time when I hear it. Time is money, but it's not. Your time is finite, and you don't know how much of it you'll have. And you'll never get more. And it it's, can be wasted, and you won't get those wasted moments back. And money in the United States, there's almost always a way to get a side gig or to spend less and make money work. And, and I'm not trying to be insensitive to people that have had money struggles. I have had money struggles, but I have options. I'm not going to get the time back with my kids. Like I'm just not right. And so I think part of it is that we, as a society, culturally, we don't necessarily tell people that. But then I also think we just, you know, this happens all the time, right? You can't see the forest for the trees. You're kind of caught up in the details and you can't see the big picture. And so what I say, both as a professional educator and as a homeschool mom, is that your goal is not to teach every kid everything that they ever need to know. It just isn't. And people are always shocked when I say that. Every kid is going to have gaps and it doesn't matter where they were educated. 
like I have a master's degree and I still learn things all the time. I have a hobby interest of studying world wars and there, are, and I've been studying that for a really long time. And I still find out stuff that I just, I didn't even know. So you're never going to teach everything and they're never going to know everything. That's not the goal. The goal is to teach them to be self-aware and to teach them how to learn so that then when they become aware that, Hey, I don't know this thing that I need to know. They know how to figure it out. Where do I go to find that information? Who do I ask? What online resources might there be? Where can I, how can I access a book at the library? And then how to take that information that I find and create a skill where I didn't have one or knowledge, right? Because plenty of people can read a book and not know what it says. So, you know, your goal is to develop that curiosity and a, a love of learning and, and to have a certain self-awareness so that when they realize, hey, I have this ignorance here, they have the ability and the tools to remedy it themselves. Because one day I'm not going to be here to teach them. And so I, I really want for them to know how to do that for themselves. And I, I don't think that we, like, we don't talk about that with all of the standards-based education and all of the tests and they're supposed to know everything and they're not supposed to be any gaps, but there are for every person, you know, like every single person has learning gaps and, and we discover them, you know, throughout our life. Well, one thing I've noticed, even in my own life in the last Okay. I think it was four years ago. I started, I, I started my blog and it was like, I Googled what is a blog and then what do I do to start one? And I did, like you said, I, I realized I had this ignorance and I wanted to move past that. And I wanted to add this skill into my life. So I had to learn it. And by the way, I did mention on the other podcast, Molly, you are the one who picked out the name tending fields for my blog, which I think was so clever, but you do have a way with words. So that's why you thought of that. And I didn't. Um, but I, I think I've learned things about podcasting. I've learned, I've learned so much in the last couple of years because I had a desire to learn it. Right. And we don't stop learning just because we graduate high school. There's not a time limit on our learning. And if we think about the years of our childhood, say 18 and under, and those are your years of education and your years of learning, there's a lot of life that remains after those years. And there's things, you know, you become a homeowner and you have to start figuring out how to do things and how to learn things. My, my husband at one point a few years ago wanted to buy a Kindle from somebody and he found it on like Craigslist and he went to pick it up and this, it was like this brand new Kindle and the guy just wanted like pennies for it, you know, just not much. And my husband says, so why, why are you selling this? And the kid, he's probably 18, 19. He said, I got it for a graduation present, but since I graduated, I don't need to read anymore. So I'm short on my rent money. So this is why I'm selling it. And, you know, my husband was happy to buy it from, from the young man for a good price, but he said, you know, you, that you actually probably don't need to stop reading just because you've graduated high school. There might be more things in your future that you want to learn. And, um, I think that says something, you know, that, that we do, you said like, um, almost creating a thirst for knowledge in our children so it's that spark of curiosity and creating a thirst for knowledge, but also just some of it's humility even, right? And, I, you know, I can tell you from teaching college students at university, there tends to be somewhat a lack of humility, right? Because I'm college educated. They would occasionally ask me questions that, that I couldn't answer. And nine times out of 10, it wasn't that I didn't know the answer. I would compare it to like, how, what do you say when your kids ask you where babies come from? Like, you know, the answer, but how do you, how do you say that in a concise way for the amount of information they need? And I just hadn't, you know, I hadn't kind of, I hadn't expected or anticipated the question. So yay, ask questions, stump the teacher, right? Because I'll go figure out how to tell you. And if I really don't know, you know, sometimes they would come up with, so I had students that were 
in the law enforcement program and they were taking Spanish and they wanted to know like certain like handcuffs and just things like, like, you know, oddly, I didn't have experience with those in Spanish. So I have like, there are words that I have to look up. And if I had students that were like, I can't believe you don't know all the words. Like there are English words that I don't know. At the time I'd been reading Jane Eyre and I read the word alacrity and I had to, I had to look it up because I didn't know. And which I told them, I said, so you know, I have a master's degree, and if I go sat in an English, went and sat in an English class, I would, I would surely learn from someone there. And if you ask that English professor if they know everything there is about the English language, their answer should be no, because they don't, because nobody's Jesus, right? We don't know everything, and we're not perfect. But so that kind of a, a humility or just a, a willingness to accept that you don't know it all. We're not fantastic about that in the public system, I don't think. So the goal is really to create that thirst of knowledge, that curiosity, that self-awareness and humility that they're willing to learn because they're willing to accept that they maybe don't know everything. So I see some of the comments you do, like, how can I juggle it all? How can I do it? So even if I agree with you and I say, okay, I'm always going to learn. I'm going to be a lifelong learner. I'm going to teach my children a thirst for knowledge. I literally have this book that I bought. I spent all this money on the curriculum and I have X amount of subjects and I need to figure out how to fit this into my day. And I need to be able to go from like the beginning chapter one to hit page 530 by the end of the year. And I'm just feeling a little bit overwhelmed and anxious over this because I am not a trained teacher. What would you say to me? <laughs> well, I have lots. I Really, I have lots of things. So one, if you are homeschooling or doing a charter, it's because you think that there's something wrong with the public system. I assume that's a subsumption. So we need to stop comparing ourselves to the public system because that just doesn't make sense. If it's broken and you pulled your kids out, then stop trying to replicate a broken system. But um, since we do compare, I'll make some comparisons. One is that every, every school I have ever taught about at the beginning of the year in August, before we go back, we sit down and have a meeting about what we aren't going to teach. What part of this textbook are we going to cut out? Because we all know we'll never get there. And then we have another one in January, right after we come back from Christmas break. And then we have another one, usually before or right after spring break, so that, you know, we've all basically taught the same thing. But that's what we're doing, choosing what can what can we kick off here? Because we're not going to finish the book. As a university instructor, I did make sure we got through the whole book because it was quite expensive. And I just don't feel like it's right for me to make them buy the book and then not use the whole thing. But I also can tell you that I would say 90% of my students told me that I was the only professor that ever actually got through the whole book. Most professional teachers just don't teach the whole book. And then the other thing that I would say is that this is one of my favorite things, right? So I taught math, so I'm a numbers person, but just hang on with me here if you're not a numbers person. I taught in, in a school that had 47 minutes class periods and we had seven class periods. So for teachers, one of those becomes your prep period. So you get 47 minutes to do all your grading and all your lesson plans and all your parent contact and answer all your emails and all your laminating and all your photocopying and all the things that you need to get done, which obviously is not 47 minutes a day is not enough. You also have um, the smallest class I ever had was 28 students and the largest class was 38. So if I in, am very generous and say I had 30 students and I only teach for six class periods, that's 180 students a day. So I have 180 papers to grade in 47 minutes, right? But if you look at that on the flip side of what the kids get, if I had no fire drills, no, no behavior problems, no announcements, we didn't grade papers, everybody came to class on time and everything went perfect. If I have 30 students in 47 minutes, each kid gets less than two minutes of my individual time to just say, hey, how you doing? Do you understand everything? Is there any way I can help? And then move on to the next. 
So no direct instruction, no nothing else. And if I'm super generous and say some by some miracle, I can, you know, warp time and give them two minutes, then that means those kids, if they have similarly amazing teachers that give every kid two minutes of intentional personal one-on-one -on -one attention, at the end of the day, at the end of their seven classes, that's two minutes times seven classes, they've got 14 minutes of individual attention all day long, which doesn't happen because you have classroom disruptions. You have kids that misbehave in class. You have parent alarms. You have announcements. You do grade papers and you do have to actually teach how to do you know, the fractions or whatever you're working on. So they don't get that. So as a homeschool teacher or a parent, or if you're doing a charter or, or whatever, if you have a half an hour or an hour to meet them at their level and you divide that up, and in some subjects, they're not going to need that much time because they're going to be like, I got it, mom. I'm good here. And in others, they might need a little bit more help. But you're there to provide a learning environment, but that doesn't mean that you need to directly stand up and teach eight hours a day because they don't get that. And that one-on-one -on -one time where you can figure out exactly what they need and you're teaching to them exactly at their level because that's another issue at public school, right? We teach to the middle, which means the kids that are super smart are crazy bored and the kids that are really quote unquote behind, right? Their peers don't get it because they can't, they can't jump that gap. They need some individual attention, but like how, and this again is not, this, I'm not, it's not a hit piece on public schools. There's just no way to do it differently when you have those kinds of numbers in 47 minutes, right? I, there's just no time. So high school is even worse because they have larger classes. And so the parent or the teacher student radio is, is lower and elementary kids usually get closer to like 16 or 18 minutes if you figure that out, but it's still not, you know, there's still so much time wasted during the day. Like people have the idea of, I got, I got to do this for eight hours a day in a classroom. I have to wait for 35 kids to light up or 30 kids to light up. I have to wait for 30 kids to get a drink of water, 30 kids to go to the bathroom, 30 kids, you know, like, those every time you have a transition it takes a lot of time there's five to seven minute passing periods depending on your campus and so between every class is a passing period just for them to walk down the hall and there's busy work because I have to have that for 30 kids I have to keep them all busy all the time and that's just a classroom management issue right so if I don't have to do that, if I don't have to just keep you busy while I do real work with these kids that really need my help, or you finished your work and I can't challenge you because I really have to help these kids, like that doesn't exist in a homeschool. In a homeschool, if your kid is finished and they need your help to go on to the next thing, but you're helping a sibling, you say, go free read, go do your chores, trashes need to be taken out. But, you know, there are other things for them to do. It's not busy work. It's, it's life skills that they learn. We just think about things, you know, constantly comparing to the public system, but we don't actually think about what that actually looks like. That's two minutes per class. You can give your two kids two minutes per class. And if you're a working parent, it is, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's possible to do that in the evenings and weekends. Like it, it's possible. It's just that paradigm shift of what's my actual goal. My goal is not to create zero gaps. My goal is to give them the tools to learn and the self-awareness to know that they're ignorant and how they can remedy that, right? And the desire to do so, because I don't want my kids selling their Kindle thinking, well, I have no need to read anymore. And that's a sad truth about it's not just the youth. There are plenty of adults who choose not to read, right? My heart is just going out to teachers right now. I just feel so sad for them. It's got to be extremely discouraging to know that that is what you're up against 
And also, I know on the time I've heard that before where teachers say, hey, I do a lot of grading at home at night. I put in long hours at home doing things or they have to use their own money to buy like bulletin board supplies and things like that. And so, yeah, it just makes me sad for the situation. Like you said, it's it's the not a dig on them. It's like those are the facts. This is the logistics of how the school systems work. And if we did do some compare, it's a it's not a competition. It is a comparison to say, okay, well, this is just a different way to do things. And there's benefits to one system and there's benefits of another. Um, you know, I so I think that's really good perspective for us to keep in mind as we head into a year because yeah, homeschooling can get discouraging. And um, I know let's address just really quick, the number one complaint that people have, and maybe something they hear a lot from other people about a drawback from homeschooling is of course the socialization issue, right? (laughs) This is my favorite question. Okay, Okay, let's do it. If you homeschool, I'm just going to ask you to take a deep breath and not hate me for the next, I don't know, 10 minutes. Okay, so just breathe. So homeschoolers tend to overreact. We're a bit oversensitive to this question. And I wish we wouldn't be because it's a legitimate question. And I honestly had it when I we decided, okay, we're going to homeschool. I didn't know. Okay, so I had two frames of reference and growing up, I knew two people that homeschooled and one was a family who said that they were homeschooling, but they had a child that kept getting in serious trouble and was truant. And so they were, they said that they were homeschooling to, to avoid truancy laws and nothing ever happened. And we all knew it, right? And those people exist. They exist in the public system too. But that was one frame of reference. And then the other frame of reference was a a lovely family that as a child, we went to church with. And they were like, they didn't read books if it wasn't the Bible or somehow Bible related, like apologetics kind of things. You could read C.S. Lewis, but like to the extreme, they never watched TV. So we would just try and play like we our youth group. Uh, leader had this thing called Bible baseball and you could uh, answer easy questions and that's a single a base hit or you could go for a double or a triple or a home run and it would increase the complexity and it took us the longest time to explain to them what that meant because they didn't know what baseball was like so really no outside references that aren't strictly biblical and they were incredibly well-behaved children very kind very loving it's not a complaint that's not how I would choose my kids to be because I want them to be in the world but not of it but to be in it you have to be able to relate to people and those kids did have some difficulty I mean they were very nice they didn't have difficulty speaking to people but the limit of the subjects that they could speak about were limited, right? So for me, that's what I knew. And then I know if you're from the public system or if you're a public school teacher, what you see of homeschoolers is all the people who have kids that for whatever reason aren't doing well, either behaviorally or academically, or you have a truancy problem and you put them in and you pull them out because you're tired of dealing with the public school system and then you get tired of dealing with your kids' behaviors. So you put them back in and then you pull them back out and it's ping pong ball. And that's who they see all day long. And so people wanting to pull their kids are kind of suspected of being that, you know, ping pong family who that kid's really not getting an education. You know, they're kind of subverting the system and, and not parenting frankly. Right. And usually that's, there's drugs or alcohol involved there or other illegal activities. So the socialization question, right? Because if you ask your public school teacher, they're going to tell you all of these horrible things because that's their personal frame of reference. Right. But the fact is that for heaven's sakes, I, my schedule this year is insane. We have 
Monday night, we have Boy Scouts and American Heritage Girls. And Tuesdays, we have a co-op that's geared for high schoolers and middle schoolers. And Wednesdays, we have um, homeschool Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the middle of the day. And my daughter has an online Spanish class, which I know I'm a Spanish teacher. That doesn't make sense. But it was, we were fighting and bumping heads and it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. So now I pay somebody else to do that. And we have chats at the table and speak in Spanish and it's um, peaceful. And she likes Spanish and doesn't hate me. So that's a win, right? And that's a win. Like I could go on, but there's something every day of the week and there are things that I'm turning down and that it can be hard to know what those are but there are resources and places out there. And I know when we first started homeschooling, one of the things I did was I created a busy bag exchange because I had a preschooler and I was trying to do something with my kindergarten first grader and needed something to keep her brother busy. And really my only intent was to start to get to know people and to network. And so I posted on a Facebook group that was local for homeschoolers. We did the exchange and and then people, oh, that's Molly. We know who that is. We'll let her know about this co-op or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Like, there are so many social opportunities. And if there aren't enough in your area, if that's somehow possible, it's also a community that in my experience, I'm going to date myself. It's a, if you build it, they will come type of a thing, right? So if it doesn't exist, you advertise it and it exists. And I can almost guarantee you that you'll have too many, you're going to have to turn people away. Like I'm helping organize a co-op this year and we have like, we have to turn people away. And I've had field trips I've organized and I have to turn people away. So if you organize a group, people will show up. I mean, it's just going to happen. And there's every manner of co-op out there. Some that will, you know, require you to teach classes in exchange for your kids taking classes and others where you just pay and you're expected to be present, but you don't have to do any of the work and, and stuff in between really. But there are social opportunities galore. Besides the fact that all of the things that are open to public school kids, like swimming team swim team at the y or youth soccer football at like all of those sports activities are open to homeschool kids just you know so those are all still there i think that with the plethora of opportunities for homeschooling i think it's kind of funny that another complaint by people sometimes is all homeschoolers are alike. They all do the same thing. They all think the same thing. They're like the unimind, you know? And then I think in the different social things that we've been involved in, in the different co-ops that we've been involved in, there's button heads, you know, like there is opportunity and there's a lot of people that have differing opinions. And so not only is it a social event to go out and do something, it's an opportunity to work out your worldview, to practice uh, the things that you've been learning, you know, maybe you're taking a class on apologetics, you know what, you're probably going to have an opportunity to practice that and work it out in one of those homeschool groups. So I think that that also is an interesting thing is that there's a lot of variety and diversity within the homeschool community that there's a lot of learning just by attending events. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there's just, I think people misuse the word socialization as well. So I feel like I should just cover that. So the idea of socialization, it's about teaching the youth, right? But it could be adults because adults can be poorly socialized, how to behave in social situations in acceptable ways. That's really it. So arguably, homeschool kids are better socialized because I, so I'm going to, I'm going to use an example from my public school days. Okay. I have had many situations like this, but this is, you know, kind of my favorite. 
I had a, a kid that was constantly mouthing, constantly behavior in class, constantly mouthing off, using curse words. He would view, I'm trying to think of a rated G, he would uh, view highly inappropriate and uh, illegal material on his cell phone during class. Um, and, and it was just constantly a problem. So I, this parent, right, because I'm tenacious and myself, I started calling him three times a day. Call him on my lunch, called him like 10 minutes before class should be starting because I, I know that's early. It's like 7 a.m. But if, if school starts at 7.15, as a parent, you should be up at 7 a.m. And then I would call them after school until I could get this parent on the phone because I couldn't, I couldn't affect behavior change without them, right? So finally, parent shows up to the meeting and says to the kid, I don't care what you do in any of those other classes, but you're not going to be able to sit down for a week if you don't behave in that math class because I'm not listening to that teacher call me anymore. And like, I was like, okay, Mrs. Plum won. But it was sad to me because his response to everybody else in, the, in that table was, I don't care what you do with him I've had enough I can't make him be better like I can't either I can't do anything you deal with it and that is it's it's not just that parent it's a societal shift like the school is there to teach your children to behave themselves and no it we're not now if your child misbehaves in my classroom I will surely set them straight but I also shouldn't have to call you three times a day for a month to get you to come problem solve what we can do and we're not talking about little jimmy who is wiggly and and just needs a physical outlet or something we're talking about literally things that this kid could get arrested for in class and parents are like well i can't do anything about that you fix that right so they're not socializing their own kids and they are expecting the public school system to do that and i have two minutes a day with each and every kid and I have 180 a day. And that's a very low estimate. That's more time than I actually get and fewer kids than I actually get. So that's, you know, that socialization is not happening in school. The socialization that happens at school is be quiet, don't disrupt things, follow the rules, don't question authority. And, you know, those things can be okay, but there's a, like, you know, 1776 we didn't just be quiet and follow the rules and respect authority and and i think that most of us in the united states are pleased with that right and you know england on the fourth of july says happy treason day but like we have freedoms because we stood up with that for them it's about knowing what's worth standing up for and how how to stand up in a way that is appropriate. Those kinds of things are not being taught at school. So what people are generally usually worried about is less socialization and more social time and socializing, right? How am I going to get my kid connected with other kids? Well, if you're a believer, you know, you have youth group, you have Awana, you, there's American Heritage Girls, there's Trail Life, there's Boy Scouts is still Christian. If you're in the right group at the right place at the right time. But there's lots of those kind of, it's a social organization. That's the whole point of it. 4-H, FFA, I mean, the, they go on. And just because you're homeschooled doesn't mean that your kids can't, you know, be involved in school activities. I Like, I know somebody who homeschools and they did a co-op with us for quite a while and their son is in high school and he shoots trap shooting um, competitively with the high, local high school. And he went to a national competition, you know, as a homeschooler and other people, you know, once you get to high school, your kids can do sports teams. We have a homeschool choir, we have homeschool orchestra. We have like those, those opportunities exist. And I think that people just don't know. And so what I wish for all of the people that are rolling their eyes at this question is that you would take a deep breath and, and deal with what are sometimes impertinent questions or presented in kind of a derogatory way, like when well, you don't have anything to do with your day and it's just a lack of it, ignorance. So remedy it in a, in a loving way, right? Like, Oh, you know what? I bet you don't know. Let me tell you about some of the things that are available. 
because you know people really just don't know and i i certainly don't have a problem talking but if you put me in a group of large a large group of people that i don't know i won't talk to anybody like i just won't i'll be on the edges i'll make sure i know where the exits are i'll watch my kids to make because i like that's just not going to happen on a smaller group setting i will absolutely kind of dig in but it can be hard and daunting and so coming from we're in a church where very few people homeschooled and you're recreating your social circle because so much of social time revolves around public school for public school families so you gotta you gotta think outside that box you know but they exist and and those groups are out there and and the reality is your kids will actually have more time to socialize like you know i have a daughter that will be doing ranch hand work at a local equestrian it's a christian equestrian camp and she'll do that all day one day a week next year for both pe and work experience she would not have that opportunity if she wasn't homeschooled and that's going to be plenty of social time yeah they can follow their social interests but also just their hobbies or maybe a bent for their future future job you know for their future career so we have had a lot to say and I kind of think we could go on a little further, but I think we should probably wrap it up and we're going to book another podcast because we did have, before we hit record, uh, there was even yet another topic that we decided we should talk about. So you're coming back again someday, but until then, are there any other little pieces that you want us to be aware of that we should just know as we sit here and grapple with these ideas of education and what does it look like? And, and maybe as we go to the Lord and just pray about it and say, where do you want us? What do we need to know as parents? And, and what is your heart in this? I can't, I honestly don't know if I said this already. So I'll just say, I will say honestly that homeschooling is both the best and hardest thing I do with my time. It's definitely not easy and I love my kids and I'm happy to do this. But for me, when I start questioning myself, I go back to my why. And if you're in public school or trying to decide what you want to do, I just really, it's so important that you know what's going on in your kid's classroom. And I, you know, this is way back in 2007 actually earlier than that, because that's when I graduated with my master's degree. So 2005, we had gender identity in kindergarten classes, and it was part of the, quote, diversity curriculum. And some teachers would teach it, and some teachers wouldn't, right? But they were reading a book called I Am Jazz. I cannot recommend it. And that was in kindergarten, and that was in 2005. So we hear now way more about things that are being taught in school, but even just things like there's a book called The Bluest Eye, and that's an exemplar. It's on the Common Core exemplary literature list, and it's written from the point of view of a pedophile that's sympathetic to the pedophile, as if that behavior is acceptable and good and, oh, pity me, I have this affliction. There's also a book called Lolita that I, I can't even use appropriate language to describe that. It's, a, it's considered a classic. And these are books that are being read, but it's not just the literature choices. It's gotten to the point that there are many administrators that are demanding accountability from teachers so that they can no longer just ignore things because you used to have Christian teachers that'd be like, you know what, I just can't do this. I'm going to shut the door and teach what I want to teach. And, and there's still some of that in some places, but the ideology and the mandates, it's now being written in every curriculum. So you'll have random math problems talking about LGBTQ, but it's a story problem covering LGBTQ issues. And you'll have it in science and you'll have it. It's in everything. And it, and it's very anti-Christian. Even, you know, like my brother and sister-in-law pulled their kids out of public school and they were in high school when they pulled them out. 
but they, they were required to do a persuasive essay and they got a zero because they, one of their kids wrote their persuasive essay from a pro-life standpoint. And that was hate speech. And they almost got uh, suspended for that. And in the photography class, there was pornographic images that they displayed in a school art show because it's art. So that makes it okay. And so I just really, I know that when I started teaching and I saw that stuff in the class, I had heard people say, you know, there's spiritual warfare. They're really after your kids. And I really thought, you know, I know teachers, they're good people. I know plenty of people, they're Christians, they love the Lord. And, and I still know people like that and they're leaving or they're, in counseling because they're having to violate their conscience to be able to keep their job. And it just, it's a toxic environment. And so if you're going to keep your kids in public school, because you've decided that that's what's right for you, I just would encourage you to really spend a lot of time at your public school to know what's being taught, to know what your kid is doing, you know, what they're being exposed to. Cause it's, it's certainly not wholesome. It can be damaging and even just things that they are taught that's not helpful, you know, like to fear the police, which, you know, if you listened to my previous podcast, I did go through childhood trauma and my offender was a relative who also happened to be an ex-police officer. And for me to then behave in such a way to, to hate or, or, fear all police officers, that would be a detriment to me and my children, right? That doesn't help me, even if I have concerns about the way someone does their job. So it's, that's just, those are things that literally will endanger their lives one day, you know? And it's again, like if I have to choose Harvard or heaven, I, I would rather point my kids to the Lord and choose heaven, but that is going to take a significant amount of work if I were to choose to send my kids to public school. And I think that there's a lot of people that just, they don't know, you know, and I, I don't know how else to say it so that um, maybe that they'll believe me, but it's not that I hate public school. I, I love public school and I loved teaching. And one day my kids will all graduate and I'll probably go back to teaching, but I, I can't say that it's a great place for Christian children to grow up. And the idea that they're going to be salt and light, it more often happens that they end up having a definite contempt for Christianity in general, right? Because Christian beliefs are now being actively labeled as hate speech. I was censured in 2006, 2007 for listening to Caleb Christian music on my lunch break in my classroom. Like I literally got written up for that. And that was over a decade ago, just because I had Christian music on during my lunch period. And there were kids in there. Just the door was cracked open. So that's not a, it's not neutral, right? Education is just not neutral. So I'm never concise about anything. I apologize. I'm just, I would really like for people to just go see, go be involved, spend a couple of hours a day in your kid's school, if that's what your choice is, so that you know what you're going after. And then if you're choosing to do homeschool and you're overwhelmed by it, you know, just remember that 14 minutes a day, like you don't have to give them eight hours. They, it won't take eight hours because you're not educating 180 of them, right? You've just got your kids. So like, we don't need to compare to a completely different system that's really got a completely different purpose that we maybe don't agree with. Yeah. Well, I appreciate this time that you took and this is, it's a lot to chew on. I mean, it really is. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of things to weigh. And um, my hope is that this would just be probably a spark for conversation. And um, I know that there's a lot of logistics involved in home education. 
I mean, there's logistics involved in getting up in the morning on time and packing lunches and taking your children to school too. Right. That- and your homework folder and your reading log and parent-teacher conferences. And yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. You're going to put effort in no matter where your children are educated. That is complete truth. And quite honestly, I think sometimes I said, I homeschool because it's less of a time investment and less exhausting for me than trying to fix some of those things. Like when they're gone for the day, then at the end of the day, I'm having to backtrack and and fix things. So sometimes I think that too, but um, if, if you are listening and you are just trying to think of how to juggle all this logistically, like where can I have my practical questions answered? Um, And is there anybody around who can just talk this out with me and listen to like how, like show me an example. I do want to point you to um, a few podcasts that I've done before. And I unfortunately haven't written them down, but I will put a few of them on the show notes that you can click on. There's also some great organizations out there like HSLDA. And if you go onto their website, they have, you can look up your state and click on that. And it will give you some support groups where you are that can help you get started or encourage you along the way. Also, we have a group on Facebook, like I mentioned that Molly named my little blog (laughs) and all the stuff I do as being tending fields. So we are all tending the fields of our home. We are tending our marriages, our children, our extended family, and our education, along with laundry and dinner and groceries and all those things, right? So we would love it if you would come on over and join us on that group on Facebook. It's just called Tending Fields Moms Group. And we talk about a lot of things over there that are practical. And so if you have questions about homeschooling or you want to connect with some other moms and talk about the practical things of life, please come join us over there. Please take a second to subscribe to this podcast. And if this episode just really spoke to your heart, you can share it to your friends on Instagram and all the other places that will help it get seen a little bit more. And uh, Molly, I just want to ask, would you be praying for us and for the school year, for our hearts, like all the things? Father God, I just thank you for technology and the opportunity to be able to reach people outside of our you know, geographic area, but I would just hope that this would reach the right ears and that those would hear would be encouraged and not condemned. And regardless of what people choose or don't choose, that they would do it intentionally and with a heart to serve you and point their children to you. And I just ask, Lord, that you would direct this to the people that need it the most and that we would go about our day in service to you and trying to serve you and our children in a manner that gets them to heaven, not Harvard. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today, and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at tendingfields.net because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.